Welcome to the Magazine Debrief. This week we are looking at the 22nd of January issue of the magazine and I'm joined as usual by Gronya Hallahan. Hi Gronya. Hello. And Gronya's daughter Nancy. Hi Nancy. Hi. Hi. And Dan Worth, who's a lot less cute. Hello. <laughs> okay, let's get started. Okay, so the reason Nancy's with us today is because we're going to talk about the cover feature. Well, Gronya's going to talk about the cover feature, and it's all about four-year-olds. It is, and that's why we've got Nancy, because Nancy's going to be four. When are you going to be four? Um, In February, aren't you? Yeah. How old are you now? Three. Yeah, so nearly four. John Morgan wrote our cover feature this week, and it's all about the foundation year assessment. So, fun fact... Foundation year is the only year in the whole school system that gets two statutory assessments, which seems a bit harsh, given that they are just four and can barely write their own names yet. (laughs) Um, People criticise it. They say it's not age appropriate and that it's just a data collection exercise. They're not improving outcomes and it's all based on observations, which will naturally be flawed. Um, Something really important to mention about the foundation assessments that I didn't actually know is that it's what you call black box data which means that the assessments they do in language communication literacy and maths the scores aren't shared so the schools can't actually use them for their own assessments they've got to then do their own assessments on top of these statutory assessments which obviously creates more work for teachers and these are stored in this sort of imaginary black box and they come in at the end of year six that they can judge how much progress students have made when they first started primary to when they leave primary school. Of course, we've got the duplication of work because the schools will still be doing their own data assessments and they'll be doing assessments throughout the year. And the criticism seems to be really that assessments should support learning. John speaks to Jan Dubell, who talks about the problems with young people performing for these these tests as we're going to look with Nancy in a little bit children don't always like performing when they should do and when you ask them to do something sometimes they don't do it and Ruth Swales she talks about how assessment it should be to decide the next step not just to store the data in a box but not everybody agrees some people think that you know the this is a good move Rob Coe says that these tests aren't high anxiety so it's not a problem doing them And if you just wait and watch the child to wait and see them perform these skills that they're looking for, they won't necessarily do it. So it's really good to have this sort of structured time to prompt them to do it, because then you can actually see what they're capable of. And Julian Greenish says that these tests avoid observational bias. We all have unconscious bias. We don't want to have this bias, but it's there anyway. And by doing these tests, we're avoiding that that bias. And as all kinds of interesting bits in there about uh, the the problems of data. I mean, we're questioning, are we doing this just to get EYFS to align with the rest of the school? Is data a security blanket for teachers? It's a really, really interesting piece and one that everybody should be reading. We talk about EYFS and we don't always have the best knowledge about it. This is a really informative and interesting piece. Yeah, I mean, it's... The headline is how to measure a four-year-old academically, and it's it's been building a while this debate about how you know how best to actually find out what a four-year-old knows. And John does a good job of saying, well, the government's basically saying we don't really trust teacher judgment. We'd like to do a standardised baseline assessment, which we then won't tell the teachers about. 
and we'd like them to also do this rejigged EYFS profiles at the end of reception year when they all eventually reach five, we should know exactly what they're doing. And the profession, especially the front front line, are saying, well, you know, this is this is flawed because you ask a four-year-old a question, they're going to give you the answer they think you want to know, not necessarily the answer they have, which is why Nancy's here, right? That's why Nancy's here. So Nancy is obviously a genius child because she's mine. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yes. Um, but we're going to see if Nancy... I've, I've had a little look. You can't get a copy of the, the test that they do online, I guess, to stop people doing things like this. But it'll all be done on iPads and we don't have an iPad to do it with. So we just, I've got some, got some bricks. So Nancy, you know your shapes really well, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Can you put, so I've got two triangles, two rectangles and two squares. And I'm going to ask Nancy to put just the triangles in this bowl here. So Nancy, can you put the triangles? Oh. What's she got? Two triangles in the bowl. Two triangles in the bowl. Nancy, would you have done that if I'd have asked you to do it? Oh, let's see. So remember the options. You've got squares and rectangles as well, John. Could you put the two rectangles in a bowl for me? Had a slightly blank look. And she's now looking slightly slightly wearily at me. They're triangles, aren't they? John asked you to put the rectangles in. Put the rectangles in. Apparently, she will only do it for her mum. Well... Doesn't that just tap into the argument of quite a lot of the EYFS practitioners that actually it's the relationships that matter in EYFS and that when someone they built a relationship up with asks them to do something, they understand the game rules of the game, they, mm. they want to do it. When when a scary man with a beard on the, on a Zoom call asks them to do something, who there's no relationship there, they're, they're, they're trying to guess what I might mean. And I think that that's a nice demonstration. Have you got another one for us? I see you've got a book. We've got some books, got some words. So, Nancy, you've been doing your words, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Right, let's give it a go. Off you go. Cat. Good girl. About this one. Cat. Well done, John. Do you want or Dan? Do you want to write a word and hold it up and see if Nancy will read it? Uh, okay. Phonics. Can I just is... say that this is no this is no comment on mine and Dan's ability to teach EYFS. I reckon it'd be brilliant. Does that show correctly? It does. Right. You read this uh, one. Uh, oh, well yes. done, sweetie. Very good. Hey guys, Dan's better than me, clearly. Or less scary, it seems. <laughs> um, but think but this is different though, isn't it? Because I didn't ask a specific question. I was just it's a slightly different test, isn't it, in a way? Like your one was a bit was a bit more. Maybe I should ask the shapes one as well and then we could triangulate how about we do a color one mm, okay she's got some color we've got different colors here red green and orange so dan do you want to ask her a color question can you show me the orange color please yes very good see now we've now we've swung to the other side of the debate that says if in the right conditions that assessment standardized assessment from a relative stranger is a fine thing it obviously <laughs> depends on how friendly we look and i obviously look very unfriendly i'm sorry why nancy don't, why don't you do another one john okay can you show me the yellow nancy can you show me yellow oh ah. it works you see this is real-time research going on on the mag debrief podcast here we are we are trying to measure a near near four-year-old and are having okay, let's try this 
Sorry, I've interrupted you there. I was going to say, like, maybe we should do one final one, which was the one that tripped Nancy up the first time. So, Nancy, can you put two squares in the bowl, please? Yes. Fantastic. You see. But have you built a relationship up there in that 10 minutes we've been on this Zoom call? I mean, is that enough? Can you ask Gronya, can you ask Nancy, does she feel more relaxed now? Is she more happy now to do this? How are you feeling, Nance? Good. You're feeling good? Oh, lovely. Do you have any questions for the boys? Do you want to ask them any questions? What do you want to ask them? You don't know. <laughs> Another good example of when they give you the answer that they think you want to hear. I think she yeah, said, exactly. yeah, I thought she said, is Tez available in all good magazine and bookshops? To which the answer is yes. You know that. We always go and find Tez in the shops, don't we? And yeah. she also yes. loves them. Loves the My Best Teacher podcast featuring Dan Worth and this week, Lem Cisse. That's correct, Lem Cisse this week. An excellent listen. Really, really good listen. Well, thank you very much, Nancy. Right, you can go upstairs and play now. Oh, I know, I know. It's fun, is it? Right, say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for helping. I think this is the reason why the feature is so worth looking at because there's a lot of assumptions around um, assessment for four-year-olds and it's really complex and... I think if you read the piece, you'll see some, it'll make you think because the the, the opinion's quite um, varied and the debate is an interesting, respectful one to have. I think online it can sort of drop into sort of accusations of, you know, child abuse or, or in both directions, actually, in in the form of, you know, we're not treating these kids as, as educating them properly. But actually, all the intentions are good from both sides of the debate. And I think if we have a sensible debate, we can find some midway. Like Rob Cohen, the piece says, you know, on their own, if you look at the reception baseline assessment, it fundamentally it's, a, it's an okay thing. But the way it's, the, the, the system it's been put into of high accountability, capability, sorry, um, corrupts it slightly. And I think that's what we have, to, we have to look at is not just the test, but the system the test is acting within. Yeah, the banding. The banding I thought was ridiculous. So the fact that they've had to invent these bands for tracking purposes. Yeah. it's we've, You've just lost sight then of the purpose behind it. There's nothing wrong with sitting down with a four-year-old and assessing where they're at. Nobody's saying that. That's what teachers have been doing for decades. The problem is the way it's being done and the, the system that it's going into, you've got to question that. And that's why teachers are questioning it. Um. And to have a read as well for for Julian Grenier's um, comments as well, because I don't want it to seem that we're saying that all the frontline EYFS workers think the same, because Julian's actually of a different opinion and he has got some support outside. So it, it's, it's, it's a nuanced debate and it's one worth, one, one worth digging into. Okay, so feature number two, swiftly going on from measuring a four-year-old to manipulation. Um, there is a connection because we can manipulate answers from people, uh, from children especially, not that any teacher would. Um, Irena Barker looks into this firstly from a teacher-to-teacher or teacher-to-line manager point of view, where she's saying, you know, manipulation's this thing that everyone does. Everyone tries to get their own way by using a little bit of a manipulation. They might they might euphemistically call it encouragement or... Um, persuasion but really you know we're all manipulators but to be called a manipulator is is a horrible thing to be called it means you're deceitful and nasty even though we all do it so 
Elaine looks at this in the school context and, and she explains how it's on the spectrum. So at one end, you do have that cajoling, encouragement type of manipulation where, you know, a leader might think that this teacher is actually going to be really good at a pastoral role and they don't want to step up perhaps for a maternity cover, but, you know, the leader slightly manipulates them into it and it all ends up fine. And she says, okay, that that's almost an acceptable form of manipulation, but it does have a downside because you don't ever know that that teacher's full wants or needs. And so you could, you think you could be helping, but you're not. And at the other end of the spectrum is just the horrible form of uh, manipulation where it's all is tied into emotional and physical abuse, really. So the feature asks, okay, in schools, we know this happens. It's human nature to manipulate. Do, do we have to transparently model a lack of manipulation? And the piece sort of says it's very hard to do because one-off one off manipulative moments, you can't really call that person a manipulator. It's looking for patterns of behavior. And then the piece says, which is an interesting turn in this feature, well, hang on, are you being manipulated by your students? And there's this brilliant academic in the piece who did this research in the late 70s and is, and as Rainer says, it's still very relevant now and he's got some great quotes in the piece. But he's saying, you know, sometimes that manipulation is quite useful for a teacher because the pupil will attempt to manipulate the situation so that they're praised or that they're, you know, they will behave essentially to, to fulfill the teacher's needs. But he also says that students are much better at manipulation than adults and that this is something teachers do need to be wary of. So it's an interesting exploration of um, the psychology of manipulation. And it's, it's the more you look at it, the more relevant it is to schools, especially at the moment in these, you know, remote learning times. I mean, I imagine it's quite easy to manipulate situations. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like you said, there's two, two, two strands of this, isn't there? There's, there's manipulation that we all engage in and the word is loaded, but we kind of mean that thing of getting someone to do something that you know they don't want to do. But And you just sort of say, oh, I know it's annoying, but you know, the, the senior leader should have asked me to ask you so. Oh, and, it, and, it, and that might not be true, but it's a good way of manipulating someone. But it's kind of harmless, isn't it? Because the job needs to be done and, and ultimately that's going to happen. But then there's the darker side. And it, and it strikes me as like how... Do you think we're good? Are people, teachers, humans in general, are we good at spotting when we're being manipulated in a negative way? And I would suggest we probably aren't until it, it's almost gone too far and then we realise we're doing things or behaving in a certain way or someone's behaving to us that we can think, hang on a minute, this is all wrong. But maybe some people disagree and say, oh, I'm very good at spotting when someone's trying to pull the wall over my eyes in a negative way. But yeah, very interesting on the pupil thing as well. Not something I'd really thought about until I got to that point in the feature. And then I thought, yeah, pupils could be quite clever at this, couldn't they? probably because they have less to lose in some ways. For them, it's a 40-minute lesson. For the teacher, it's their livelihood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The point about um, like managers and school leaders sort of manipulating their staff, it's that, you know, that is it, is it encouragement? When, when they send out the email saying, thank you to the, to the 30 teachers who have applied, who has entered that data already, it's a shame that the other 10% have, and that kind of, and that happens in every workplace. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, that's... Like where, where's the line is that whole like behavioral psychology and the, all the nudge stuff that all of that is like low level manipulation, but the stuff about students manipulating their teachers that, I mean, that paper that you talked about, John, that how students make teachers afraid. Yeah. What a title. What a title that is. Like <laughs> that guy, I'd love to, I'd love to have lunch with that guy. He's, he sounds like a brilliant, a lot of fun. 
And um, you do get lots of times where students trying to ma- manipulate teachers and yet yeah, they're, they're good at it, but they're also really bad at it. <laughs> There's times when you know a child is trying to manipulate a situation and they don't realise that you can see that they're doing it and they think they're really clever at like, getting away with it. But um, do you remember we did that bullying thing a few a while ago from National Bullying Week? There's so few resources out there and things to help teachers who are being bullied by students. Mm. And when we were speaking to people about it, it wasn't something that... They, they said it had happened and they'd had cases of it, but there wasn't any kind of like solid stuff out there or, or proper guidance on what you should do in that that situation because it's such a, an odd reversal of power. You shouldn't you shouldn't be bullied by a student because you're technically like the most powerful one in the room, but it doesn't work like bullies don't always work like that. So it's it's an interesting one. The point the point about the uh, about what you should do is interesting, where you should ask around to see if everyone else thinks the same because I guess that taps into, you know, do you have a persecution complex? Are you reading too much into it? And to sense check that with someone else. And I thought, yeah, that makes sense, but it's very hard to do because you're exposing yourself at that point to say, I'm being manipulated. Do you think this guy's or this this lady is manipulative? And one that's a risky because if they say no, then you've outed <laughs> you've outed yourself as one being manipulated and two you know, thinking so. You know, the, the word is out that you think that boss is a manipulator. And if I know schools well enough, that's going to get back to that person pretty quickly. So that recourse thing that you're talking about, Gonya, is interesting because it's not simple to tackle this. No, Do you know, it's, and there's so many things that will make you go, "That's that's odd." Like that's that's an odd thing that just happened. And if you try to sense check it with somebody else, what does that say about you? Yeah. <laughs> the, I don't know, it's that feeling of being exposed as well as saying, like, this thing happened and it really bothered me. Um, I once I once taught a child who, for his homework, had to write a poem. And the poem he wrote, he wrote it about me. <laughs> uh, but in it, it wasn't like, oh, really, it was, it was nice, but it was odd. And there was a line in it saying, um, where does she get her degree? Was it a polytechnic or a proper uni? <laughs> And I waited until parents' evening and his mum and dad were there. And it was it was so obviously like not his words. You know, like the what what's what year seven writes that? That's a really odd thing. A year seven. Oh, that's that's year weird. Year seven. Yeah, that's a bit. Right? But it felt like this sort of little little attempt to undermine. Mm. And it was that, mm, no, you're not gonna do that. And it was um but I I, I brought it up with the parents. And was and I thought that was the best way to tackle it, like in front of the child and with the parents there, and like you know it's very amusing. But no, thank you. You don't do that mm. to me. Did they, did they all blush and and show themselves as guilty? Very like sort of coy laughter and like oh we thought it was like like no that's really inappropriate. <laughs> I love that. That's Just, an odd thing to do, isn't it? It is weird. I'm slightly freaked out by it. Um, and I don't want to know any more lines from the poem because I'm I'm slightly worried. <laughs> Um, to be honest, that is an odd one. No, that is. But odd. are you just trying to manipulate sympathy from me and Dan? Well, nah. is it is it a true story? I feel like that's quite an exposing story because it it's tapping into that own like my own feelings about my own education and like do I come across as stupid? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's I don't think I sound good in that story. I don't think you sound bad. That's the the pupil or the parents. I mean, maybe it was the parents. It's very bizarre if it was, but. 
that's just a bit. I mean, in some ways, you could in another time you could just think that's that's quite funny, isn't it? You know, it might be you maybe had a funny relationship with this pupil already, or maybe other things had happened at that day when you first read that line and it just set you off in a kind of negative space. But you might have read it and thought, oh, that's you know, he's just taking the Mickey out of something because I, you know, we had a laugh about that in class. I don't know, but I just interesting isn't it? because it sounds to me like you already had a slight sense from this relationship that was like hmm bit odd and then this poem was already that was like just compounded your feelings which was the point i was going to make is that i think you talk about this how do you open up to people about this and i think if you were in a situation you'd probably be able to tell that other people felt the same i think it'd be odd if you thought mm, there's something odd about this person but no one else sees it or you could broach it in just a subtle enough way because I um, regular listeners will, will sort of understand what I'm going to say next. But I have definitely worked with someone who was a manipulator in in many ways, and it was once you saw it, you couldn't stop seeing it, and then it became really damaging because you just felt everything they were doing and saying was just odd and and a sort of power play. And they used to do this thing a lot where they we'd have meetings and they would sort of insinuate they knew something very interesting about the institution in which we were working and sort of some big story or something. It could be good, it could be bad. It was just always this. There was something going on, and we were all in the same team, but but this person was senior. And they would, but they would tell you what it was. And a lot of time, this thing, whatever it was, never came. You never suddenly, like a week later, there was never some big announcement. It was like, oh, that's what that thing was. It was just this odd sort of drip, drip of, oh, I know things that you don't know, and I'm not going to tell you. And one of the members of my team would regularly, sort of deliberately, like he he knew what he sort of saw it as well. And he, but he, his response was to ask those questions as a sort of comic, sort of, well, what is it? What's it about? And, the other, and then put the person on the back foot. My response was to not say anything because I was like, I'm not going to play into the game of asking about this thing because I know it doesn't exist. But it was very, very odd to be in because it meant the meetings genuinely, you came out just like, what is that about? Why has that been said? Why why are you trying to make us feel like you know something? And I was like, I don't care. Like, if that's part of your job, great, don't tell me. But don't do this halfway house. And I just think, I think if you feel that's going on, it is going on. That's my sort of, that's what I took from that experience was to trust your gut, your absolute innate, this is odd. There's something strange. I can't put a finger on it. I can't articulate it well, but I know something's odd. And that's hard because there's no there's no easy there's no easy progress from that. But at least you personally you're defending yourself internally to move forward somehow. I think that's true. And I think as the piece says, we've got a an issue there that um people do need to seek help for. And so go see your union, go see your HR person, talk to your line manager, all those things is is how to handle this, whether it's a pupil or a, or a colleague. Okay, so feature three, a bit lighter. We're going to talk about giggling. Yes, this is um, my choice. And this is a lovely feature by Simon Creasy talking about sort of like the science of the giggle fit and that that moment where everyone just starts laughing uncontrollably and they, they can't help themselves and often at slightly inappropriate moments or not not even saying that's that funny, but it just sets everyone off. And um, the feature talks a lot about kind of like why that happens and, and the two types of laughter, you know, voluntary and spontaneous. And, and voluntary laughter is the kind of, laughter that you know we all do socially to laugh at something that isn't that funny but it's sort of said with the intent of being funny so we laugh and move the conversation forward and not you know we're all pretty good at that aren't we so we sort of learn that social construct but obviously this is talking about spontaneous where everyone starts laughing and particularly when it's like in a nervous moment and there's a great bit about you know when you're telling a pupil off and they start laughing and we all know that we all know that when someone's telling you off or when you have, I don't know about you two but like sometimes you have an argument with your partner i mean you know once a year or something and um you both start laughing while you're arguing because you can't take yourself seriously. And it's like, no, I am I am serious about this point, but I'm also laughing and I've completely lost my position in this argument. But it was good. But also my final point in this, which I liked about it, is one of the sort of points is what should you do if this happens in class? And one of the suggestions is 
just go along with it, you know, just laugh with the pupils and it's funny and enjoy that moment. And I had a teacher called Miss Rainbow, who was a really good history teacher. No, you didn't. Yeah, honestly, our (laughs) history department, this is a true story, our history team at my school was called, there was a Dr. Flood and and a Mrs. Flood, Mr. Spring and Mrs. Rainbow, (laughs) (laughs) which is just the most brilliant (laughs) sort of pastoral idyll of teacher names. Anyway, but Miss Rainbow was a very, very good teacher, but her lessons were hilarious. I don't remember sort of kind of why it always happened, but every week. It, we just fell into fits of laughter and it was almost like nothing could be left unsaid. And they were brilliant. Like you come out genuinely that kind of endorphin rush of like, oh, that lesson was so funny. But I have also learned about Stalin's five-year plans. And, you know, um, it's, it's, it's a really there's nice a lot feature. Of, there's a lot of laughter yeah. in uh, Stalin's five-year plans. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It didn't make any sense. What a contrast. I was not expecting you to say that. Yeah, but it just, we just, we weren't laughing about Stalin. We were laughing about silly things someone said in lesson or I don't miss it. It was Rainbow. Just, she, not no, she was, she was a great teacher. Um, I'm glad you clarified you weren't laughing about no, Stalin. No, I just mean the lessons worked. We got, you know, I did really well. And I, history is my favourite subject. It's well, joint favourite subject. But um, yeah, I did. But laughter and lessons. You see, we're laughing now. We're having a good time. You know, it, it can be done. It, it's relationship building, isn't it? And I love that. I love in the piece it talks about laughter as a social construct. And, you know, you can't help but laugh. And if you're the one person not laughing, you will laugh because it's contagious. And that uh, mm. these laughter, these laughter out of control bursts of laughter are, are, are can't be helped really. All I kept thinking the whole way through was um, the Bare Naked Ladies song. I'm the kind of guy that laughs at a funeral. And I was just like, yeah, I am the kind of guy who laughs in weird, tense situations to try and diffuse. And I love that notion that people subconsciously use laughter as a tension diffuser because they know they're in a stressful situation. And I guess it's a laugh or cry situation. And quite a lot of people will just laugh. And, it, and it, I guess it changes the dynamic in a school. If you're telling someone off and there's a kid laughing at you, it's it's how they're laughing. If it's mocking you, then, you know, fair play. But there's some kids who will just feel so tense that they will just have a little chuckle to themselves. Mm. Yeah, it's like, you know, the situation is bad. So what's the worst thing you could do right now is to laugh. And that's sort of like, <laughs> like oh, so you have to do it. It's It's bizarre, isn't it? Sometimes you just get a really giggly class as well, like classes that just find everything funny. I had a drama class and the, the, the most ridiculous thing they were laughing fit about was when I said, now, now look at the clock. It's fell about laughing. It's like, are you actually laughing because clock sounds like cock? And they're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really funny. Like, it's really not. Really, really not. <laughs> like five minutes later, we can move on with the lesson. But what I thought was really funny in, um, in the piece was saying, Know that those tips don't say don't laugh because all they'll hear is the laugh and it just makes you laugh. <laughs> I mean, it's doing it to us now. <laughs> it's making us laugh now because it's impossible not to. And at the moment, do you know what? Let's laugh because it, it's pretty miserable at the moment. So, you know, embrace those moments, uh, I would say, and, and try and, and try and have some fun in your lessons. And I think everyone needs that at the moment. Um, but before we go, we need Dan needs to give us a quick update on uh, my best teacher. Yeah, and actually, this is another perfect um, thing in terms of you know what everyone needs right now. The um, the, the, the Tez my best teacher podcast. We had the first episode with Tim Vine, which is a great listen. The next episode is out on the twenty second with Lem Cisse, MBE, the poet. Um, absolutely, such an, a great uh, interview because 
Lem was in a care home growing up and the way he talks about school and the role teachers and school played in his life is is really profound. And it, and it just shows, you know, school is a place to learn. And he talks a lot about how his teacher inspired him with his poetry and helped him, you know, have value in what he did from his work. But also he talks about the role teachers play as, you know, as a sort of uh, support to children and the pastoral sort of care um, and how much importance that can have. And, and in ways teachers may, may not even know, you know, they may not know that what they do, those little things they say and do. And I actually interviewed Mira Sayal recently. That's another episode coming out soon. She talks about the same thing, like these little moments, like one conversation you can have. And she said it set her, Mira Sayal says, you know, set her life on a certain course because she just made her think, oh, what, I, I should follow my interests. I shouldn't try and be different. I shouldn't try and fit in. I am a bit different. I should use that. And same with Lem. He just talks about how, you know, what teachers do is so giving and so sort of, they give, he says they give a lot of themselves away. And I think right now when teachers are probably, you know, they're on their own at home and their government dictates are changing all the time. And it's, it's just, there's none of that social element. It's time to remember, you know, it's good to remember that when you're back in school or even now, the things that you're doing are, are making a huge difference and they will make a huge difference. And again, like interview with Lem and, and the one with Mira that's coming up, show that so clearly. I think they're really good, upbeat and sort of motivational listens as much as just fun and enjoyable as well. Check that out on um, Apple, Spotify, all the, all the podcast platforms. And uh, we'll be back next week with another Mag Debrief. If you enjoyed listening to this week's issue of the magazine Debrief podcast and want to read more of Tez magazine online and have it delivered to your door, subscribe now at tez.com forward slash store.